you standing next to you are your family. And to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Meet Us at Molly's. As always, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Gina. I am joined by my co-host, Bryna. Hello, everybody. And of course, Miss Ashley. Hello, everybody. So tonight we're going to be talking about Chicago PD season five, episode five. I never get this right. Season five, episode five, entitled yes. Home. But before we do, of course, we start every episode with the news. And it's been a light news week this week, which we're kind of surprised about. But maybe it's the calm before the storm since next Monday is what Chicago Day. And we expect that our Twitter pages are just going to blow up. But one of the articles we got, we got a Hollywood Reporter exclusive about a or not. Well, yeah, about a guest guest star who's going to be coming to PD. Bryna, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so John Pankow, who was on episodes most recently, um, is going to play Judge Wells, who once upon a time <laughs> attended the police academy with Hank. And so Voight apparently has a great respect for this guy, and he's now this well-respected judge across the city, and he's, you know, calm and always well-spoken, even when a crisis happens. So when apparently when this nationwide epidemic hits home in Chicago and specifically close to this judge's home, um, Voight promises that they're going to do everything to right this wrong. And that's apparently supposed to be the fall finale of PD on November 29th. Sounds good. So this epidemic, you think they're going to address the opioid crisis? It's got to be. I mean, it's got to be something, if not specifically that, then something very similar to that. I mean, I don't know what else, a nationwide epidemic. And especially when you use the word epidemic, I feel like it's always got to be something drug-related. Intelligence takes on the flu. <laughs> right. Like, what? I mean, like, you wouldn't say, you don't call shootings an epidemic. Like, that's just not the word you use when it comes to something like that. Like, that is a word that correlates with drugs. Yeah, that's. it sounds like they would take that on. So, yeah, this it sounds good. I'm hoping this judge has really embarrassing stories about Voight and the Academy. Could use Right, and off. I hope it's just, like, I hope we get to see maybe a different side of Voight. You know, maybe we'll get to see, I mean, I don't know. We don't know anything about this episode besides this, but, like, maybe we get to see flashbacks to a younger Voight or something like that. Like, that would be really cool to see. That would be great. That would be great. So... The second article we got, we got a TV Guide article about an upcoming episode of Fire. Um, Ashley, why don't you take us through that? It says a case is threatened when Casey and Dawson's relation. A case threatens Casey and Dawson's relationship, and then Dawson becomes too involved with the young Sullivan, and Casey questions her every move, and that doesn't sit well with the strong-headed firefighter. And we see a little tension between them and there's uh, Monica says we start to see a little tension between them because they're still independent people with independent thoughts and points of view on how to tackle problems. She told that to TV Guide. I'm at the point with these two, though, when they say when they threaten tension or friction, I'm like, please, you've never seen Dossie in action. Clearly, like, I'm not worried. But my thing about this, though, is when is this supposed to happen? Is this supposed to be OK, guys? Next week, like, 
a week from today when we're recording on Thursday is the winter finale of Chicago Fire. Is that supposed to be in next week's episode or is it supposed to be teasing like when we come back in January? Like when does what where does this fit in? It sounds like it'll be something in January, so we'll probably yeah, need to refresh our seem memories. To fit based on the episode description that we got for 606, it doesn't seem to fit into that storyline. So, I mean, I would assume it's something in January, but this seems very early for something we were getting in January. But I don't know. That's just me. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I kind of want to, like, hit the pause button on all news about, like, episode seven and beyond. I'm like, wait a second. Let's right, take just, that up in January. Just like, just get, or even just, like, two to three weeks from now when it's, like, completely off the air for, like, its hiatus. And then, like, start giving us news about. Because, like, right now I'm like, okay, this is great. But we still have one more episode to air before we go on hiatus. And then this is happening so far in the future. Like, let's just hold on pause until we see this next episode next week. And then let's talk about it. Right. And we're not complaining about getting news about our shows. Don't get us wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just there's a it's lot just, of like, information. It's yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it just it makes it seem like the timeline of when this was released. It's like, oh, it's probably in an episode coming up. We'll, like... We all know kind of based on the episode descriptions that it's not. So it just seems like it's just a weird, like, I don't know why TV Guide did th- release this when they did. Yeah. So, and that's about all we have for the news. Again, Monday, October 30th will be One Chicago Day. And that will be the day that our social media pages just go like kaboom. Because there's going to be so, so much heads. news. So much retweeting. <laughs> so do our heads. What'd you say? So do our heads. Yeah. So do our heads. They just like go like, boom. Yeah. Just boom. Everywhere. So <laughs> everywhere, like Stella said, everywhere. So let's get into the episode itself. So this episode, you know what they've been doing with season five so far is they've taken one episode to focus on each person. You know, episode one was a Halstead episode. Episode two was Burgess. Episode three, Antonio. Episodes four and five were kind of a two episode Atwater arc, which is awesome. We loved it. So basically, we'll start off with the case. As always, we'll break it down by storyline. So Intelligence gets a warrant for a meth dealer who lives way out in the boonies. So they find this house in the middle of nowhere and they bust open the door and the meth dealer flees because he's a really smart criminal. And yeah. Criminals should not do that. So (laughs) he flees into the backyard. Atwater, like, WWE-style clotheslines him. Clotheslines. English is hard. But (laughs) Atwater clotheslines him. It's pretty great. And Antonio apprehends him. And just as Voight and Atwater are standing there, and Voight's like, hey, cool WWE move, bro. They hear some noise in coming from a a storm. I haven't even been drinking. Only water tonight. Um, they hear some noise coming from a storm shelter. So Voight picks the lock and this small child just comes like tearing out of there. And he's trying to run away, but Atwater's trying to calm him down. So Voight goes in and that's when he finds two other children dead. And that's the teaser. Short amount of time, but a lot of stuff. So... We cut to the district, and Ruzik and Atwater are explaining the situation to Platt, and Ruzik explains that these children are considered ghosts, which means that there are no missing person reports out there for them. So 
Platt shares her sandwich with the little boy. He doesn't speak English. He's really scared, but he does manage to squeak out that he's from Vietnam. And Platt's pretty happy about that because that helps a lot. So Voight and Antonio interrogate this Carter guy, the wonderful drug dealer and all that. So they're asking him about the storm shelter. He's like, I have no effing clue what you're talking about. And he says that it belongs to his neighbor, who he conveniently does not know. Although I can see that, though. If you live in the boonies, you may not necessarily know your neighbor. So it's, Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of kind of plausible. Still a little suspect. Yeah. Yeah. My only thing about him was just, like, the way they kind of introduced him and the way, you know, Antonio was like, oh, I found out from my CI about this. Like, they just kind of made it seem that he was going to be way more involved in the end somehow. Like, I was convinced that he was going to come back up and he was going to actually be connected to the whole thing and he was lying about this. And, like, they just seemed to give us a lot of information about him considering the fact that he was never really brought up again after this. Yeah, I like it, though, because... You know, I like this. It threw me off, though. I mean, I liked it because it was not what I was expecting. Like, I couldn't, I didn't know from the beginning who was actually involved and who was actually the guy. It was just interesting because, like, they just gave us so much information about him. And I was like, wait, what? And then when I realized, I, like, he wasn't coming back, I was like, okay, well, that was a lot, but okay. I mean, I like it because it made the story really dense. Like, it gave it a lot of facts really early on but yeah no I I, I can definitely see that because you you know you want you don't want to like focus your energy into the wrong place when you're trying to digest these stories well it's more just about him specifically like we knew his name we knew all this like he had I, it was just more about him not necessarily like the facts that we got about everything so far it was more we learned a lot about him considering he was never being brought up again right right so he tells Voight and Antonio that he doesn't know the neighbor. Voight calls bullshit. And he ends up conveniently providing a description of the neighbor. Funny how that works. So Rusik and Atwater, they go to the morgue and they find out that the kids died from toxic water. As in the drug dealer had dumped the meth waste and it had seeped in through the soil, which just... It's disturbing, and it kind of breaks my heart that these kids died that way. It's horrible, but possible. I mean, I don't know. I never yeah. watched Breaking Bad, but, uh, I mean, that sounds crazy. So Yeah, it sounds crazy to me, but like you said, I mean, I know the writers do a really great job of, like, making sure everything that does happen on this show is, like, plausible, despite the fact that it seems crazy to us. So, like, I'm sure this is actually something that can happen, but it, it blows my mind. Right. Right. Just a horrible way to die. So Ruzik and Atwater are back at the district and they interview this child with the translator. Now, this child's name is Quan, is what I caught. That was his first name. I think there was a second name that I didn't quite catch, but um, they interview Quan with the translator. So Quan tells them this story that he was living with one couple who gave him to another couple who gave him to a man who locked him in the shelter. Crazy. So Quan describes the house where he was taken. It's a tan house. It's near a train. And there's a picture of cats outside. He also adds in a note that it smells like a Vietnamese dish that, you know, of course, Ruzik and Atwater are definitely not familiar with. So we go back to the bullpen. And this is a little moment, but, you know, we, we, we definitely have to talk about it. Burgess comes upstairs with this bag of food and Platt's like, hey, or she's like, hey, Platt said somebody ordered something from this Vietnamese restaurant. 
So she hands it to Ruzik and walks away. And Ruzik just like keeps his eyes on her for pretty much forever. It's the best. Yeah. Like, be still my heart. That glance is everything. Like, Twitter blew up about it. And rightfully so. Friendly reminder that Ruzik never stopped loving Burgess. True that. True that. Yep. Just crazy. So cute. So it turns out that the food is chocolate and he then tosses it to Burgess. Adorable. I just am like thinking up adorable situations in my mind. I'm like, oh, maybe he knew that she loved chocolate from that time they were engaged and they were just so cute together. And it's just. But my question is, Ruzik, why the fuck are you giving up chocolate? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> like, why? Like, why, like, okay, yes, I understand that maybe you thought you were getting some kind of, like, noodle dish or whatever. Like, you thought you were getting, like, something you could eat for dinner. But, like, it's fucking chocolate. Like, why would you give that up? Right, right. I know, I didn't get the chance to, like, Google this particular dish. Now I'll have to because I'm curious. But that and I think Ruzik... I'm going to work on that. We, we're going to keep talking and I'm going to work on Googling this. Go for it. So... Ruzik and Atwater kind of deduce from this that the house is near a chocolate factory. At this point, I was like, hold the phone. I've been to Chicago three times. My fourth is coming in March. I never knew there was an effing chocolate factory in Chicago. Yeah, Gina, can we go? We can absolutely go. (laughs) Like, absolutely. (laughs) If you know of this chocolate factory in Chicago that they refer to, please let us know. Slide into our DMs. So... (laughs) (laughs) They go into this neighborhood and they're searching for the house and they find the house that's got the cats outside. It's like a door something or other. I don't know. So as they're doing that, the husband walks up and this is, you know, it's a married couple that live at this house and the husband walks up and he's coming back from a business trip. So Ruzik shows him the picture and he's like, wait, that's my son. They go inside and they interrogate the husband and wife. And this is when the wife casually mentions that she gave the son away to another couple, unbeknownst to the husband. Did she think she was going to get away with this? Did she think the husband wasn't going to be pissed off? Yeah, I I just remember because this was one of the sneak peeks for this week's episode. And I remember like, texting you guys when I read it and being like what the fuck like what is happening like what is she thinking like this is ridiculous like so I I was I was pissed off beyond belief because I just can't even like imagine did she really think that she was gonna give their adopted child away and it like wasn't going to destroy their marriage yeah I I don't know so weird they, inter- they interrogate the mom some more, the, the wife. They interrogate her a little bit more. And all she's saying is that Quan had issues, quote unquote, issues. Uh, he would steal money. He would, I think, hide food, things like that. But she's calling them issues. I mean, he's not even 10. He's, what, maybe seven or eight? It's not the kind yeah. of thing you just get rid of someone for. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Th- this this whole thing, that whole adoption, it just, it left me with so many questions and, I mean, things that we'll, obviously, they're, it's fiction, like, we're never going to actually know the answer to, but, like, oh, it, it pissed me off. Yeah, it's crazy. And so the wife mentions that she found a website called Real Promises, which just really sounds like Craigslist for adopted kids. It's disgusting. Yeah. 
And so she describes the couple who responded to the ad. And there is a moment here where she turns to Atwater and she's like, you think I'm a terrible person, don't you? And Atwater is just like, I don't think it matters what I think, but I think it's pretty extreme to give away a child. It's not just extreme, it's horrifying. And what's even more horrifying is that this is something that happens. This is something that exists. It's so disgusting. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't even understand how this is legal. Yeah, it's just insane. So Jay does a little bit of research and he finds that what they're doing is called rehoming. Not only is it called rehoming, it's legal in Illinois. What in the world is this? I don't understand. I don't Go I ahead. don't want to even be the person like I'd be really not that I think we'll ever learn, but like, first of all, who came up with the idea for this episode? Like which writer? Second of all, how do you know about this concept? Third, I wouldn't even want to be the person who has to do the research on this. Like, it would probably just make me so mad beyond belief just trying to do the research and get this as accurate as possible. But, like, I'm glad they do do episodes like this because this isn't something I ever thought would have existed. But I I still can't believe that it actually exists. It's insane. And, I mean, I'm wondering now, with Jay saying that it's legal in Illinois, is this PD kind of starting to kind of wander into that territory of like kind of calling people places and things out on certain laws and regulations does that make sense what I'm trying to say yeah like trying to call out like say the state of Illinois for making this like or having this be something that's actually like on the books is legal yeah that kind of thing it kind of seemed like PD was kind of calling them out a little bit yeah which I'm okay with, I think. I think I'm okay with it as long as it's not, like, like, in this case. Like, they kind of subtly maybe hinted that that was the case. But, you know, they never actually outwardly outwardly said, like, hey. Like, Jay never said, hey, Chicago, I think, I think this is stupid. I want this to change. Like, nobody ever actually said that in the episode. Like, they said that was just, they were disgusted by it, but it was never, like, oh, I think this should change. Like, I think as long as they kind of keep that boundary when they come to, like, all these things, then I think it's okay. But I don't think they can actually come out and say, hey, Chicago, we think you should change this. And then in this episode, this thing. And then in this one, this one. Like, I don't think they can do that. No, definitely not. But Jay kind of planted the seed, you know? Right, for sure. He did it in a subtle way that, like, we got it. Like, we got that people didn't think this was okay and that it's something that probably should change. But like, it was never actually him saying, I think this should change. Right. I'm hoping what this is, it's not legal by the act of creation. It's something that just never got addressed. And so it's legal because it's not, it's legal because it's not illegal yet. Does that make sense? Right. It's one of those things from like olden times that was like, just never taken off the books, but it's still technically legal and no one just like, no one's just changed it yet. Yeah, I'm hoping it's a result of oversight and not a politician saying, hey, transferring adopted foreign children from home to home is perfectly okay. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, there's like no way that's remotely okay at all. No, no. 
Ugh. So where am I at here? Okay, yeah. So she found the website. She describes the couple who responded to the ad. Jay finds that rehoming is legal. And so Atwater, pro- or he proposes this plan to Voight. And he's like, hey, let's lure this couple out of hiding. Burgess and I can go undercover and pose as a couple and they'll meet with us. We cut to them undercover with this couple and they're meeting with them and talking to them. And I don't know why, but Burgess and Atwater posing as a couple is the cutest thing ever. Right. Like, I don't know. I think every, I mean, Twitter blew up about it. Everyone seemed to love this. And I think we probably loved it way more than we actually should have. Like, it was ridiculously adorable. Yeah, and we know that there's nothing romantic between them ever, but they're best friends and just, it was cute. I don't even know why, but it was so cute. Yeah, no, it was, it was, was, yeah, like you said, I don't know why, but it was really great. They find out that they don't know, or they, they interview this couple and the couple is playing coy. They don't know who started the website. You know, they mention a couple that they knew who used it. And when Burgess asks to speak to them, she says that they don't remember them. So they show them pictures of their house and then they bail as soon as Burgess mentions that they would want to speak to references. They just kind of bolt. The other thing about this is that in the middle of this interview, Jordan calls Kevin. And this is the Don't moment. Don't just sit there, Kevin. Call it back. Yeah. Yeah. This is the moment where all of a sudden the case just took a back seat because every single one of us was like, call him back. Walk out of the room and call your brother back. Right. Like so much panic. Why don't you call him back? You're a good brother. Call him freaking back. And it's not even like he finished the conversation and then then called him back. No, he goes. I mean, we can talk. You can keep going, Gina. But he goes and like helps them take down this couple. And still, until like probably an hour or two hours, maybe even have passed before he does anything with this call. Ashley, what did you think at this point? I mean, he should have called him back because obviously he wouldn't have been calling Atwater if anything, nothing was wrong. So obviously something was wrong. So he should have picked up the phone. Right. I still just don't understand why he didn't finish this conversation before going after the couple and then like call him back before he goes after the couple. Like, I, Yeah, I get that he's committed back. to the case here, but call your brother back. <laughs> So the next scene, they cut to Atwater and Antonio. They follow the couple back to the trailer. Or was it Ruzik and Antonio? It was Ruzik. It was was Ruzik, yeah. It was Ruzik and Antonio who followed the couple back to a trailer. And Antonio points out that there's more than two people inside. They have a moment to chat or whatever. And then there's a gunshot. And so Ruzik and Antonio run towards this building. But I'm just sitting there saying, okay, but has Kevin called Jordan back yet? So we find out two seconds later when Burgess and Atwater roll up on the scene that no, he hasn't. Little frustrating. Little frustrating. They go inside and Antonio apprehends Todd, who is Quan's father, Quan's adoptive father, who we met earlier in the episode. And so Quan had a gun and he went rogue on the couple. You mean Todd? Quan did not have a gun. Quan did not have a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Quan is like seven. No, he did not have a gun. Quan was not there. (laughs) Todd had a gun and went rogue. And so Antonio apprehends him and Antonio and Upton interrogate this woman. 
We're going to circle back with the Jordan stuff in a minute. Antonio and Upton interrogate the woman. She claims they're working for this undercover ICE agent named Clyde Harris. I do want to backtrack just a little bit here quickly because there is a great moment after Burgess and Atwater play undercover. And then Burgess ends up apprehending the woman. And the woman goes, you're the mother? And she goes, no, I'm the police. <laughs> yes, yeah, Burgess, that yes. Was yeah, that was, that was a great moment. Love Burgess. So yeah, the woman says that they're working for this undercover ICE agent named Clyde Harris. Now, the minute I hear this, I'm like, okay, that's bullshit. The whole thing sounds sketchy. It kind of sounds like when you hear about people getting scammed on the news with like iTunes gift cards and you're like, didn't that sound sketchy? Like way back when you heard about it? Yeah. Sounded sketchy. So Voight and Jay interrogate the man and the man basically says that they got paid to transfer these kids from one couple to Clyde. And they got paid $500 per kid. Again, disgusting. Disgusting. They meet. So, yeah, they find out that, you know, his his meeting place of choice. It's this truck stop off like I-94. And so they set up. A, they try to set up a meeting or not set up a meeting. No, they go to. I'm getting confused now. Upton and Olinsky, I think they went to the truck stop to see what surveillance surveillance footage they could use. I promise I have not had anything to drink. So, yeah, they always meet him at the truck stop to pull off this transfer from the child to Clyde. And Clyde has to change phones a lot. He's always using burners because he's an ICE agent. Totally sketchy. Yeah. So Antonio tries to call Clyde. And guess what? The phone's disconnected. I did not see that coming. What a surprise. So, (laughs) yeah, while this is happening, Voight talks to Todd. And this is where we see a glimmer of old Voight. Todd explains the whole situation. He's really, you know, Quan, he loved Quan, you know, loved him like he was his own kid. And then Todd says, well, what would you do if this were your son? And Voight, of course, doesn't have to say anything, but it's a really good moment because we're starting to see old Voight kind of creep back into the picture. Thank God, because whoever that other Voight was was weird. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't... don't bring him back. Like, I mean, not that I agree with everything old Voight does, but, like, I'd much rather have old Voight around than whatever that new Voight was. Yeah, that passive and, yeah. Yeah. Passive Voight. It was weird. So weird. So, yeah, Upton and – I have in my notes that Upton and Antonio head to the truck stop. I thought it was Upton and Alinsky, but Upton and somebody go to the truck stop. And... No, I think it was Antonio. Was it? Okay. So – Upton and Antonio head to the truck stop. They see what they can find. They find surveillance footage. And so Jay and Upton are looking at the footage. And this is a moment that we have to talk about. I'm just, okay. So they're looking at the footage and Upton notices something. And so she kind of gets up from where she's sitting to look at the screen closer. And she puts her hand on Jay's shoulder. Now, the first time I saw this, I was like, stop touching him. Go away. Didn't think anything of it. It was like a fleeting moment. It wasn't until I saw Marina's tweet, Marina Scorciati, of course, she tweeted, you know, all caps, of course. She said, was that a hand on shoulder moment? What just happened? Trying to make a mountain out of a molehill, Marina. I see what you're doing. You're trying to divert attention away from Upton and Ruzik. It's not working. 
So yeah, Upton puts a hand on Jay's shoulder. What I caught on the rewatch when I rewatched it this morning is that Jay has a moment where he's just kind of staring like, what are you doing? See, okay. Get your hand off my shoulder. There's a couple <laughs> things that, okay. So I didn't even notice this moment at first, like, yes, last night when we were watching it for the first time until people started freaking out about it on the internet, including Marina's tweet. And then I couldn't obviously help but no, not notice it on my rewatch today. I'm like... I think it. I think it's interpreted the way you guys are. Like, get your hand off my shoulder. Like, this is weird. We don't know each other that well yet. But I think if you wanted to see it as like romantic, like Jay looking at like her in like a romantic sense, I think you could. I'm not saying that I want it because no way in hell do I want Upstead. But like, I'm still here for my Upstead cook up all the way. But like, no way in hell do I want Upstead. Like, no way in hell. No, and we got a DM today from, let me let me find it. I think this was from Jennifer. Yeah. So we got a DM from Jennifer and she sent like a screen cap of the moment and asked what we thought. And I swear for a second, I was like, I want to report this as offensive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not cool. So yeah, she asked what we thought about it. And of course, my response, I was like, I hate that screen cap. That's what I think. Um, you know, yeah, and she made a good I don't point. like, yeah, I don't even want to look at it. Yeah, she made a good point too. She thinks that, you know, Upton just kind of did it, not really realizing what she was doing. And I didn't take it as Jay looking at it from a point of, you know, what are you doing? We don't know each other that well. I took it from a point of like, somebody's touching me. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah. yeah, I took it from the point that, like, it could have gone either way of, like, why are you touching me or, like, are you flirting with me? And I hate that right. we're reading into this because I am not here for Upstead in any way, right. shape, or form. It, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. It's like, yes, the fandom blew up about it, so that's why we have to talk about it. Like I said, I even missed it the first time go around, and, like, the only reason I think I even paid attention to it was because I knew that people were talking about it, and I would seen this DM from Jennifer and, like, all these things, so I paid attention to it when I rewatched it. But, like, I hate that we have to talk about it. And, like, if, God willing, I hope we don't ever get to this point, because I hope we don't ever see a hookup between them two. But if we do, I'm going to hate talking about that more so than I think I even hate about talking about hope. And I hate talking about hope a lot. Yeah. Just Like, I don't want to do it. So in case anybody out there was wondering, <laughs> the ladies of Meet Us at Molly's are Team Upzik. <laughs> not yeah. team upstead yeah. no and they're very close they sound similar so it can be easy if you think we're talking about the other one but no we are team upton and ruzik not upton and halstead amen and something else that jennifer said that made me laugh is that you know there was a little blurb at the end here where she says i just or she goes i feel like she's just too badass for him which i love because that's funny. I don't really view Upton as badass yet. We'll see what happens with I next week. I feel like week. she thinks she's too badass for him. Not yeah. that she actually is too badass for him because that's not true. Jay is the most badass person in this thing. But, like, I think she thinks she's too badass for him. And that's okay with me. If it keeps her away from him, you think whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Go to Ruzik. Just go back. Can we go back to the tension from last week's episode, please? If I have to choose between Upton and Ruzik and Upton and Halstead, I mean, I don't want her to hook up with anybody. But if I have to choose, if, like, her hooking up with Ruzik means she won't touch Halstead, I am all about Upton and Ruzik. All of a sudden, I ship the shit out of them. So. Right. 
Yeah, and I mean, like we said last week, I think I can get behind Upton and Ruzik on, like, a Jay and Gabby, it's cute, like, for a couple episodes level, so, like, that's where I'm focusing all my (laughs) attention on. Right, right. So that's the end of that story. Moving on, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) They get an ID on a Clyde Dupree, and they go to his house. And at the house, they find a homeless guy squatting. This is also the moment where Burgess makes this, like, Chicago Bears-style football tackle for, like, the second or third time in show history. I'm just like, dude, the Bears need to get her in for a tryout. That's, like, the billionth time she's done that. I love it. So they go through his trash, which sounds weird. But, yeah, they go through his trash, and they find a bill for a website called Sanctuary Row. And this is where it gets even more disgusting because, you know, the website, of course, that was to rehome these children. Sanctuary Row auctions these children off. And it's under the guise of them auctioning off exotic animals. It's so sick. It's so sick. So they set up a sting so that, you know, they have the winning bid and so they can finally get this guy once and for all. They go out to this random location. I like to think it's near the silos because it's outside. It's nighttime. I always associate it with the silos, but whatever. This Winnebago pulls up and intelligence just kind of starts to like zero in. So Jay pulls up with the other quote unquote buyers, buyers of children. That's so sick. Jay pulls up. And the Winnebago pulls in and then intelligence just kind of goes for it. They move in. Everybody gets out and runs. The other buyers scatter and one of the buyers is frozen. He doesn't know what to do. So he grabs the little girl and he puts a gun to her head. So the little girl's just like crying, terrified. Voight gets out of the car. And this is a weird moment because the buyer who has the little girl, he's repeatedly saying, don't come any closer. I'll shoot her. Don't do it. I'll shoot. Voight does not give a fuck. And he just walks straight forward and totally ignores what this guy is saying. This is so reckless of him, if you ask me, because what if he carried through with his threat and shot her? I think the whole season would have gone to shit. Yeah, but I think Voight thinks that's not going to happen. So he's just going to do whatever the fuck he wants to do. So he's going to put a child's life at risk? With his one hand, by the way. Yeah. His one hand gun move. (laughs) This is still a mystery to me. Like, doesn't he have shoulder problems? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think Boyd just thinks, you know, he can do – he still thinks that even though they're kind of under watch, he can still do whatever the fuck he wants to. And, I mean, he kind of can to a degree, and we see that in this episode. But with a child's life at risk, really, dude? You would think that – I think maybe – yeah, I don't. I don't even know. I can't even justify it. That was that was weird. And another thing that I thought, too, was, you know, the guy finally points a gun at Voight. And that's when Voight shoots him and kills him and, like, shoots him in the head. But I'm thinking, I'm like, you just traumatized this kid for life. If this kid wasn't already traumatized, you've just traumatized this kid even worse. And I mean, I guess, like, in Voight's defense, not that I come to Voight's defense that often, but, I mean, what else would they have done? Like, somebody was going to shoot him because that's the only way they can get her free and safe. So whether it was Boyd, who's just right in front of her, or, you know, I don't know who else was around. I can't remember what had happened, you know, who if Jay had run off for whatever. But, like, someone was going to shoot. Like, that's the only way they were going to get her free. But, yeah, I don't know. Just, there's got to be some protocol there. Yeah, to, like, 
I just I found it weird that you know this guy is I like, feel like I, they don't usually do that with children like we've seen a couple times where people have held guns to children's heads and I feel like they never do that with children it's always an adult where they actually end up shooting the person that's holding someone captive yeah Voight was a little reckless here which you know and in another part of the scene it makes a lot of sense but here I would have thought he would have you know been a little bit more careful but who knows so Clyde goes off running and Atwater tackles him and then hands him over to Voight. And this is when old Voight comes back with a vengeance. Voight kicks the shit out of him repeatedly. And we're talking about like actually kicking the shit out of this guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kicks the shit out of him. I know he kicks him in the ribs a couple times. Then he's like, turn around. I want you to see it coming. Voight's back. Which does not suck, by the way. So, yeah, Voight kicks the shit out of him. Antonio and Atwater both come up on the scene at the same time, and they both try to get him to stop. But these are in, like, two different ways. So Antonio is coming at this in a bit of a fun police kind of way. And Atwater is being a little bit more understanding. And I felt a little weird in this moment because when Antonio comes up, I was like, Hank, stop it. I'm like, Antonio, shut up. Go away. Voight's handling something. But the minute Atwater rolled up, I was like, okay, you can listen to Atwater. I don't know why I felt like that against Antonio but I don't know what did you guys think in this moment yeah yeah it almost seemed like now that I'm thinking about it it's almost like one of those moments where you kind of have like the two little figures on your shoulders like one person's talking about this one thing and I mean yes they're both trying to tell him to stop but like Antonio does it in one way and Atwater does it another so it's almost like the two um like I don't devil and angel kind of things on Voight's shoulders and, I mean, of course, Boyd only stopped because his moral compasses, Antonio and Atwater, got him to, not because he actually came to the conclusion himself that, you know, killing this guy is not going to help him finish the case. You know, killing this guy is going to kill this guy. Yeah, and you, you know, bring up a good point. Of course, he only point. came to that conclusion from help, with help, but whatever. Yeah, you bring up a you, yeah, you bring up a really good point here because I try to think into past seasons, and I'm like, you know, I would like to think that Voight would know not to kill, but he doesn't. He needs help in every instance. I'm trying to think back to, I think it was Pulpo in season one when Jay stopped him because he was with Alinsky. <laughs> yeah, which is like crazy to think that now, I mean, you've been a police officer for a very long time and you've been in intelligence now for a long time. Like you can't, I mean, yes, I guess your anger, especially this involved kids and this was bad, but like your anger cloud your judgment so much that you can't even think that like you have to yes yes you want to kill him but like you have to technically save his life just because you need him to finish the case and save all those other kids like he if they had killed him this case would have been done yeah and it makes me think back to the finale of last season not last season season three you know I think Voight knew that if Aaron stayed that she would talk him out of killing Justin's killer and he didn't want that yeah yeah that's yeah no you just bring up a really good point i'm just like you opened up like a whole new door of like issues and i'm like huh yeah i wonder if we'd ever come to a moment though where voight can still be voight but like make that decision on his own like find a way to torture these awful human beings without killing them like without going like resorting to murder yeah that that yeah i think that's an that interesting... would be some really great character development mm-hmm. like keeping voight the way voight is you know with his versions of justice and you know 
I'm not saying get rid of all his tactics and, you know, the interrogation room and all those things. But, like, if we can keep that, but have Voight come to this realization that, like, murder is not the first choice, like, that would be some really great character development. And that's, like, in one of the crossover episodes when it was an SVU episode. And Voight was trying to do something in the cage and Benson was trying to talk him out of it because that's not the way to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was in Liv's house, too. So she definitely wasn't going to allow that. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, Atwater and Antonio talk him into stopping. And Atwater gets Clyde up, cuffs him. And then there's a really odd moment. It's kind of uncomfortable between Voight and Antonio. They just have this really uncomfortable stare down. We're going to talk about this later. But, what? like, ugh. What were you going to say? I said we're we're gonna talk about the whole Antonio Voight thing in a little bit, but like, oh, it's yeah. so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Ugh, is right. Just ugh. Yeah, and so Upton and Halstead get the kids out of the Winnebago, and something I do want to talk about here that is interesting to me. You know, um, we got a tweet from Jessica, who we love so much, and she said that you know this case made her think of Aaron and. I replied and I was like, no, this case makes me think of Jay. This is a case oh, with sure. children and cases with children always make him just insane. But we didn't see that from Jay this week. He was a little bit more toned down. So character growth or did they just forget about him? No, I think it's more because of Atwater being a focus. Like they already had their secondary storyline. Like they knew it was going to be Atwater because they kind of had to finish everything from last week with Jordan and Vanessa and then they still kind of had to finish, although not really finished, but, like, at, give us more of the Antonio stuff. So I think it's more that they already had these storylines in place from the first couple of episodes that, like, we didn't get to see the J stuff. Then, like, that wasn't necessary. Or not that it wasn't necessary, but that they didn't really have time for it. But I think it probably still affected him. I mean, Jay's still, as much as I love him, he's still a mess when it comes to his life. And, you know, he doesn't have everything figured out. Um, and we don't know enough. And so, but yeah, I would definitely say it was more of a Jay thing than an Aaron thing. I think Aaron would be second in terms of people who are affected by children cases, but I don't think she's number one. Like she's not my first thought. No, mine neither. So the, uh, the case ends with Voight interrogating Clyde and it's a little funny because Voight's basically like, you know, you're going to be put into gen pop and what happens to, you know, People who hurt children in Gen Pop is pretty horrible. If you co- if you cooperate, we'll send you to like special population. And you know he says he'll protect him, but you know he'll he'll protect him if he cooperates. So Clyde is a smart ass and is like, and if I don't, and Voight just whispers in his ear, and we don't hear it, but you know it was just some crazy horrible shit that Voight was describing. So Voight walks out and Ruzik is there and Ruzik's like, you're really going to get him into special pop? And Ruz- uh, yeah, Voight's like, oh, hell no. He's going to get everything he deserves. So that's the end of that case. Nuts. So disturbing, too. And something that really got me about this case, as we were talking, you know, we-, we mentioned this earlier, but this is this actually does happen um, locally in my area. We just had a story on the news. This little girl who was adopted from India, three years old, she went missing for two weeks and then they found her body like half a mile from her house, like in an underground tunnel or something. Quite obvious that her adopted parents had unfortunately killed her because she had 
developmental issues and things. Just it's horrifying. These kind of issues um, that happened. And then, yeah. My, yeah. And my friend Haley was telling me a story last week about this adoption agency that specializes in foreign adoptions. And they had to close because like 80 of their children had died within the past couple of years. It's scary. Yeah, it. Yeah, it really hits home. You know, I my cousin was adopted from a foreign country and, you know, she's like one of my she means a lot. And just like to think about that it 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 really bothered me like I know it happens and it's really it it just it angers me like beyond belief yeah it shed some light on a really really dark horrible thing yeah and it really and especially the fact that they tie it back to like this dark internet like I don't know enough I mean I don't know anything about dark internet I know it exists and I know there's some really awful people on this like space of the internet but like it's just I don't even want to think about it but I know we have to and in order to like help bring these people to justice but like I it bothers me so much yeah yeah it was it was quite a case quite a case so Ashley what did you think yeah great it was heavy it was like a heavy episode I also saw something on Twitter, and this isn't someone I follow, so I apologize if I remember, but don't remember who it was. I just saw it maybe in, like, when I was looking through the PD handle. I don't know. Someone was talking about how the fact, though, that this case, I guess, resonates to a lot of what they do on SVU. And they were like, someone was like, yeah, oh, like, they see, you know, they're stealing what SVU, like, PD's just stealing what SVU does. And I don't watch SVU, so I can't speak to that, but, like. This isn't, like, out of place or something that, like, intelligence would deal with. You know, they go on a bus and then they figure out, they find another lead. And so, to something, like, a whole other case. So, like, it yes, it might be very similar to something SVU does. But SVU's, like, every other episode is this. This isn't something we're going to see all the time on PD. Yeah, and SVU only specializes in cases with sexual abuse. We didn't see that here. So, yeah, yeah, they're, you know, and but even even if they are similar cases and similar stories, you know, it's not like these shows are it's all not like, like this. Right. It's not like you can only find these cases in New York. Like they exist all over the country, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Atwater. This oh, was my heart's going to break. Even I know more. <laughs> our hearts are already breaking. Let's just break them a little more and then let's go watch fire. <laughs> the episode starts and we are at the atwater house and jordan comes into atwater's room and asks him to sign his report card so kevin looks at it and it was due a week ago and it's all c's and we get to see atwater go a little bit dad here because he's telling jordan he's like i know this has been a tough few weeks for you but this is no excuse you're smarter than this we get to see like a fatherly side to atwater it's kind of nice yeah, no, it really is. And I think it's really cool the fact that they, like, you know, someone, I guess, was outside, like, picking – I don't know who – Rubzik, I like to think it was Rubzik, like, picking him up to go to wherever they're going. But, like, he's not even, like, fully dressed, and he, like, walks out with all this police stuff, and he's like, I don't really have time for this, but, like, I want to make time for this, but, like, we'll talk about this when I get back. And, like, you know, like, that's what his life is like. And that's what I wanted to see is, like, yes, obviously, we're dealing with the aftermath of last week's episode, but, like, this is what life is like, like – for Kevin, like, you know, dealing with report cards, but, like, having to go to work and, like, balance this. Like, that's what I love. Like, that moment right there. Yeah. Just what I want more of. Just to see how, 
you know, he's juggling all of it. Right. It was L- good. Like we said when we were talking about the case, you know, in the middle of playing undercover with Burgess, Jordan calls. Now, after Jordan calls, there are like two or three scenes before this is addressed. I swear I had more anxiety in these two scenes that followed than I did in the crossover when Aaron killed Yates. Like, for fuck's sake, call your brother back. Right. And like I said earlier, like, when did the case become more important to Atwater than calling Jordan back? I don't know. So Jordan finally texts him and gets his attention that way. Okay. Jordan finally texts him, and there's a great moment here where Burgess just insists that she go with. She's like, wait, what happened to Vanessa? Okay, I'm going with you. You know, oh there's God, no I debate love here. so much. So, I, love, I love that so much. I love that relationship so much. They're such good best friends. So good. For sure. And I can't imagine, I, I, Burgess was the perfect person to do this too, because I feel like Ruzik would have been kind of weary of it. You know, he wouldn't have wanted to get involved with the family stuff. Right. Well, and especially because, like, in this moment, I mean, we're going to talk about this in a second, but, like, what happened to Vanessa? Like, she needed to, I mean, you know, Burgess is a much more calming, like, motherly figure. Not that she in any way pretends to be a mother to Vanessa and Jordan, but, like, you know, like, that's who you want around in that situation. Not yeah. Ruzik, who would have probably been okay. Like, he wouldn't have said anything, like, awful. Like, you know, it's his best friend's kid, kids. I'm calling them his kids because they are brother and sister, whatever. <laughs> But, you know, he also wouldn't have been able to say the right things if he wouldn't have made her hot chocolate. Like, he just wouldn't have done those things. Yeah. Auntie Kim was way better than Uncle Adam in that situation. Yeah. (laughs) So they get to the house and they find out that Vanessa was attacked. So these neighborhood kids pulled her into an alley and they threatened to rape her because Jordan is a snitch. So sad. Vanessa's like 12 yeah it broke my heart yeah broke my heart and like kevin's face the minute she says that they threatened to rape her that's when like his face just goes wide and he's like oh this is on a whole nother level just i thought he was gonna like not that we actually would have seen it because he wouldn't have done it but like it looked like he could have like burst out crying in that moment Mm -hmm. so sad so outwater and burgess are talking in the kitchen and this is when auntie kim is making little vanessa some hot chocolate and Atwater's frustrated and, you know, he and Burgess have this good chat in the kitchen where Atwater just says, you know, I don't understand how these kids found out all he did was testify in front of a grand jury, which, you know, I wonder that too. I'm like, well, wait, a grand jury proceeding is like closed to the public. So I wonder how they did find out. But he doesn't know what to do, and Burgess is trying to reason with him. So this is when, you know, we see Atwater. He's he's really upset about the situation, and he just says – he mentions that he has an aunt in Texas, and he could send the kids to live with her, but it doesn't feel right because he would be rehoming them just like what's happening in the case. I – like, very tiny part of me loves that they made this connection just because – I mean, it was just good writing, but, like, in terms of dealing with the character in Atwater, like, uh, my heart broke. The fact that he considers him trying to do what's best for his brother and sister and try to be the best, you know, he's all they've got. You know, the fact that he considers, even compares what those disgusting people are doing to those kids with rehoming, like, the fact that he even compared it to that just, like, broke my heart. Like, actually broke my heart 
Yeah, you know what got me was not that part, but when he was explaining to Kim and he's like, the kids need me, but more importantly, oh I need God. them. Oh my God. I think, I actually think I shed a tear. And I don't know if I've ever really done that with PD. Oh. And I think, like, oh, oh my God. Like, my heart sank and it broke in a million pieces. And of course, I mean, he wouldn't tell that to Ruzik. You know, Burgess is the only one that he would be, you know, completely open with like that. Just sad. Just sad, sad, sad. So Kevin goes back to work and he comes home later and he finds Jordan gone. And it turns out that Jordan took Kevin's gun and went to find the guys who attacked Vanessa. I have a question here. How did he get Kevin's gun? Yeah, wasn't it in a safe? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I guess he saw, like, when Kevin put it in there in the beginning of the episode, I think he get. I guess he just saw the code but that's my only guess maybe he had two guns locked in a safe yeah just that commercial break after made me so nervous because if jordan had killed those guys with kevin's gun kevin would have been liable bye bye his career bye bye the kids just everything would have fallen apart that was terrifying yeah so kevin takes off to go find him and basically he finds him outside this convenience store he confronts him, Jordan takes off running, and Kevin tackles him again. So much tackling and clotheslining this episode. But yeah, he tackles him and he grabs the gun. And so they have this confrontation and it's it's really sad because Jordan says this is all Kevin's fault, that he didn't want to testify. He doesn't care about being a role model, but Kevin was the one who decided that he would testify. And, you know... Atwater hugs him and tells him that, you know, I'm sorry I got it wrong this time. This, to me, was a really hard scene to watch because, you know, Kevin fully devotes every facet of his being to take care of these kids. He devotes his entire life to being a good role model and being a brother and a father figure to his siblings. And so Jordan's words just kind of felt like a slap in the face. Not that he wasn't making good points because I see where he was coming from, but it just kind of hurt. I, th- I feel like it hurt the fans and hurt Atwater at the same time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. there was just, It was just like when it came to Atwater dealing with his family, it was just like, okay, my heart broke and I don't think it could get any lower in my chest. And then it just like it kept sinking and then it kept sinking and then it kept like it just. I mean, I'm glad we get to see all this. Like, I love getting to see Atwater with his siblings and, you know, dealing with all this. But, like, I didn't think it was going to be so heartbreaking. No. I think it's heartbreaking because, you know, his brother and sister are his entire world. And so, you know, it's just so sad. So once the case is over, Voight comes over with a six-pack of beer. And he sits down and he just says, you know, it's quiet in here. Where are the kids? And Kevin takes a moment and then he looks at him and he says they're on a plane to Texas. And so we got a tweet from Kate that, you know, she thought that this happened way too fast and it wasn't quite realistic. It did happen quickly, but I get it because this was not the A story. This was, you know, it was it was secondary to the case. So they kind of had to make it short and to the point. And I'm relieved, too, because that goodbye scene between him and his siblings would have made me ugly cry. Yeah, my only complaint about this whole thing is that 
you know, we were talking about this last night in our group text, and Ashley and I were on the same page about this, but, like, we finally get to see Kevin's life outside of intelligence only for them to be sent away. Like, really? What the fuck? Yeah. Like, are we, like, I hope this means we still don't get, like, I hope whether it's a phone, like, I mean, what else about Kevin's outside life now are we going to have to see? Like, it was his family. Like, that's what we were drawn to. And so now I'm like, okay, well, does that mean we're never going to get to see anything else about Kevin whatsoever again? Because, like, the same thing kind of happened with Cruz was, you know, like, that's now that I'm thinking about it. Like, they're kind of very comparable. You know, they're kind of now the person that their brothers and sisters have to rely on. Something happens. They get sent away. And then with Leon and Cruz, like, it took three seasons for us to see him again. Like, I don't want that for Kevin. That's true. That is true. I didn't think about that, about, like, what I just now? thought about it as I'm saying words. But, like, yeah, like, we get, like, uh, it. that's, like, I'm okay with the decision. I mean, I get it. Like, Kevin ultimately did what's best for them, and that's being a good parent, a fairy figure, and good brother. But, like, what the fuck? Yeah, I... And I get where you're coming from. I think this was just something to rattle Kevin and make him grow. But we've got to see the growth now. Right. Yeah. I don't want this to be a thing where like, oh, okay, this happened. And then bye-bye Kevin. Or bye-bye Kevin's personal life. Like, see, I want to see him struggle with the decision. At least, Like, I want to see him, like, have a conversation with Burgess about it. Or have a con- – even if she's like, hey, how are Jordan and Vanessa, like – and then him go on for a monologue or something. Like, I, I just need something else, like, in a little bit. See, now he needs a ship because he's all alone. Yeah. Give us hashtag Atwater deserves 11, whatever our hashtag was. I don't even remember. <laughs> Give Atwater a ship 2017. That was it. Uh, we did get a really funny tweet from Jessica, who we referred to before. And she, I think, was just kind of goofing off when she said it. But she said that she would love to see Burgess and Atwater move in together, like, as roommates. I would be here for that. I would be <laughs> Oh, I here. would be here yeah. for that. I'd I be here for that, that buddy tweet, But I would be here for that. Yeah. That would be great. I'd so be here for that. But, I mean, it would have to be a comedy. It couldn't be part of PD. Because, yeah. They're so funny. So, yeah. You know, he tells Voight that he kind of refers back to episode four and he says that, you know, it was the right thing to do for his family. I love that he referred back to episode four and just kind of tied it in. And all Hank says is, I understand. He really doesn't say anything. And Kevin just kind of sits there just wide eyed and really scared. And this is one of those moments where Voight shows his soft side through his actions because he doesn't really say anything, but he's still just like, "Okay, I'm going to sit here and just stay with you and drink some beer. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying last week about, you know, the Voight and Atwater relationship being a little bit of a mentorship. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, it was a little weird at first. I was like, wait, why is Voight here? Like, this is weird. Because we don't usually see it. You know, we've never seen Voight. I mean, Jay and Aaron are a little different just because of the personal relationship ties and everything like that. But, you know, we never see it with Ruzik. We've never seen it with Burgess. You know, we've never really even seen it that much with Antonio. But Atwater's different, and I really like this mentorship relationship, whatever we're calling friendship, whatever we're calling it. And I really hope we get to continue kind of to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Seconded. 
So let's move. Third in. Third in, yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to Antonio because finally this oh, has resolved itself. I know. I, know. I don't want, ugh, Fucking boy. Can I just say I do not like this storyline? Like, at all. Seconded. Thirded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we start off and, like, very first scene of the episode Al mentions that, or Al asks Voight about, you know, if he's talked to Antonio. Voight just says he's keeping an eye on him. So this was, this all unfolded through about three scenes in the course of the episode, but we still have to adjust, address it. So in the middle of the episode, Al tells Voight that he checked Antonio's phone and Antonio had a three minute conversation with Denny Woods. I have such a problem with this. It's insane. Yeah. Why are I, they yeah. snooping on each other's phones? I I don't know when, like, was Voight the one that told Al to do it, or did Al just, like, I'm, I realize this is something Voight's concerned about, so I'm just going to do it because I can be sneaky about, like, oh. Especially because we haven't gotten to see a lot of Al this season, so the fact that, like, when we do see him, he's talking about the fact that he's sneaking through Antonio's phone, like, oh. And if the tables were turned and somebody were suspicious of Al or Voight, and they had tapped into their phones, oh my god, the hell they would have to pay. Oh, yeah, for sure. Makes me really mad. So, and you know what? Another thing that I kind of am thinking here while we're talking about this, you know, have we ever seen Al disagree with Voight? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. So, like, does Al just kind of blindly follow Voight wherever? I think it's more of just that, like, old school way of going about things that, you know... They kind of just stick together and, you know, Al knows that if he ever needed Boy, you know, that Boy would be there and vice versa, you know, and that's kind of what we have seen from that relationship throughout the seasons that, you know, when Al, you know, lost his daughter and when Voight lost Justin and like all those things, you know, they're there for each other and they kind of would do whatever the other needs them to do. In this case, Voight needs Al to tap into Antonio's phone without him saying. Oh, my God, I would be so angry if somebody tapped into my phone. Oh, I'd be so angry. Though they'd probably see my camera roll and be like, why do you have pictures of firefighters and police officers? You're so weird. <laughs> and Justin Timberlake, obviously. And Justin Timberlake, why is he everywhere? And who's this baby? <laughs> it's my niece, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah, at the end of the episode, Boyd comes out of the interrogation room, talks to Ruzik. He has this really awkward moment where he stares at the back of Antonio's head. And this whole sequence, I'm like, open your mouth and talk to him. Hello? But no, he decides against it. And, you know, he just decides against talking to Antonio like an adult. What he does decide to do, though, is creep on Antonio's car and startle the shit out of him when the man is trying to go home. So, yeah, Voight's standing by the Voight's standing by the car and Antonio's like, hey, creeper, what are you doing? And they try and make some small talk. And then that's when Voight just straight up calls him out. And he's like, you know, how was your conversation with Denny Woods today? And Antonio just kind of hits the pause button. He's like, excuse me. Antonio's pissed and rightfully so, because, you know, he's he's he was brought back to this unit. And, you know, you would think that he would have brought you under this unit and trusted you. And clearly he doesn't. It just makes me so angry. So basically he gets the scoop on, you know, why he was talking to Potter and why he was talking to Denny Woods. 
Potter had questions about the Lopez homicide since Lopez died after intelligence released him. Lopez being the guy from two episodes ago who little Oscar botched the lineup and let him go free. And then obviously Voight set the girl's brother after them. And so they had questions about Voight's involvement. And so Voight is like, okay, well, they think I was involved. And Antonio's like, pretty much, yeah. And so Voight asks him, like, he says, what do you say? What did you say? Antonio looks at him and just goes, not a damn thing, which doesn't surprise me. Did it surprise you guys? No, not at all. And I think the thing that, like, like, the reason I think, Ashley, like, I agree with you. The reason this episode, this storyline has pissed me off so much is that Antonio's never done a single thing. Like, yes, there's been moments where Antonio doesn't agree with Boy, and that's okay. You don't have to agree with every single thing that your boss tells you to do. But Antonio's never not done, never not been loyal in the end. He's never not you know, done it if Antonio, if Boyd's asked or whatever. Like, he's put up a fight, but he's never not done it or done anything bad. And, like, yes, he took another job, but, like, he, that doesn't mean he wasn't loyal to Boyd still. Like, this whole thing just, like, it pissed me off because it's not like there was ever a reason that Antonio, Boyd has a reason to question Antonio. And to me, it's, like, out of character for Antonio. Like, he would never act like this i don't know it's just right antonio might put up the fight and like try to get void to see a different side but like he would never actually go do something to, against void like void is probably as much as he hates to admit it like they're family you know they're stuck with each other from now on but it's just i think there's a lot of things that piss me off about this the whole thing pissed me off. And, you know, Antonio yeah. basically says that they don't always see eye to eye, but Antonio does not operate that way. And he never has. Exactly. And plus, yeah. And, you know, you said, Brenda, that, you know, he left to take the job with the state's attorney. He left for a job that Voight recommended him for. Right. Right. Oh, uh, I. Fucking Voight. Which makes me wonder, was Voight bullshitting him the whole time when he said, you, you know, I'm not doing this to get rid of you. It's your time. Was he full of shit the whole time? Was he trying to, like, test someone's trust? I don't, I, I don't think Voight's that, like, crazy. Because, you know, he just basically, he did, you know, he did it with Aaron. He, he does, like, it's not unprecedented for Voight to, you know, find people new situations that are better for them. Like, that is not unprecedented for Voight. So that's why I don't think the whole Voight getting Antonio the job is, like, a test. But, like, dear God, if it actually was, I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, because it's two different relationships between Aaron and Antonio, too. You know, Voight's got the blinders on when it comes to Aaron. But Antonio, he's pretty quick to hang him out to dry. Yeah, I, I don't even know. No, I know. And this this storyline made me angry, too. We got a DM from Jessica and she kind of concurs. She says, you know, I'm super glad Antonio cleared the air with Voight, but also kind of bummed that after all these years, Voight still does not know who to trust. Can I get an amen? Yep. Amen, sister. Yeah. And I just echo off this because I'm this did more harm than good. This has to be something, I would imagine that this has to be something that's going to damage the relationship between Voight and Antonio. Why would Voight 
bring Antonio into the unit only to not trust him. Why did you bring him back into your unit if you don't trust him from the get-go? Yeah, and I wonder if, honestly, if it's kind of going to be one of those things. I mean, this would be really interesting. I don't think, based on the episode descriptions we've got, that it will become a thing. But it'd be really great if it did because I'd really think it'd be interesting to see if we kind of had, like, this break in intelligence for a moment. Like, you know, Voight and Al are on this one side. You know, they're the old-school ways. They go off their gut and these things. But, like, if Antonio had kind of told all these other, you know, everyone else in intelligence and they kind of are mad at him, you know, mad at Voight and what he did because, you know, they do have a level of privacy. You know, what happens on their own time is what happens on their own time. Like, yes, you don't want, obviously, them to be going against intelligence, but, like, they can do whatever they want when they're not on the clock. And, you know, I think it would be really interesting, too, to see what if Jay has anything to say or if we do get to see Jay kind of speak up. Because he's also been kind of outspoken about Voight and Voight's ways and the way he goes about things. So if Antonio's like, hey, Jay, you know, guess what Voight just did to me? You know, he tapped in my phone and thinks I did this to him. And Jay's like, whoa, what, huh? Jay would 110% side with Antonio. Oh, for sure. And that's why I kind of think it'd be interesting to see if we kind of did get a little divide in intelligence. I don't think that's going to happen, but it'd be interesting if we did. Yeah, Ruzik would side with Antonio. Upton would side with Voight. Upton would side with Voight? Yeah. Wait, maybe not. Hold on. No. I'm getting confused. Upton? Hold on. I got to (laughs) think. I think she would side with Antonia because she think you know, Antonia went about things the right way. Like, he got questions from Potter and Denny Woods about, like, procedure, and he answered them. I mean, he didn't really tell the truth, but, like, he answered them. You know, he was following procedure. He got asked to answer these questions, so he did. Mm -hmm. You know, Voight's the one who went and tapped into people's phones and did things all shady as fuck. That's true. I confused myself. Yeah, no, I think, think personally, I think everyone would be on Antonio's side except for Al and Voight. That's true. I think Atwater would be a little conflicted. He would just be like, oh, God. Right, especially because, yeah, Voight's now, like, kind of his mentor and, you know, all those things. I still think ultimately in the end he would side with Antonio. Or maybe he they would solve their feud before Anto- or Atwater had to make a decision. But it'd be really interesting to see. It would. It would be really interesting. So, yeah, and that's kind of – that's that's the episode. Um, you know, do you guys have any random thoughts, any other notes that you wanted to bring up? No, I will say the only thing is, okay, I tried to Google this Vietnamese chocolate thing. The, I, because I don't know the exact name of it off the top of my head, and I can't seem to find it in any recap whatsoever, they all just call it a Vietnamese dish. I can't find the specific thing, but apparently there's a couple of different Vietnamese chocolate things, like a chocolate lava cake, whatever. I'm going to look this up, though, because I'm very curious, and I will tweet about it. So, yeah, just stay tuned, because I want to know about this Vietnamese chocolate dish. <laughs> Ashley, what were your overall thoughts on the episode? It was a good episode. I liked it. It was really good. It was. So, yeah, um, I think that's all we've got for tonight. Um, yeah, we will be back on Monday with season six, episode five of Chicago Fire, which we are about to go watch in about 30 minutes. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's Meet Us at Molly's. Um, please send us emails. We love, love, love when you send us emails. And as you can see, we try to integrate them into the discussion because you guys see things that we don't. So 
please slide into our DMs. Please email us. Meet us at mollys at gmail.com. Um, yeah, follow us individually on Twitter. I am Gina Watches TV. Ashley? Ashley095. Bryna? I'm at BrynaK13. Perfect. So, like we said, we will see you guys on Monday. Um, have a good weekend. Don't get too crazy partying over Halloween. Enjoy Stranger Things Season 2, which drops today, since Come you guys on. will be listening on Friday. And we will see you guys on Monday. Bye. Bye.